This podcast brought to you by ACES, the American Society of Information Science and Technology, the Society for Information Professionals, by the IA Summit, the premier gathering place for information architects and other user experience professionals, by Boxes and Arrows. Visit boxesnarrows.com slash about slash participate to be a part of your peer-written journal. And special thanks to Axure and Morin for sponsoring Boxes and Arrows, as well as the many other sponsors of the IA Summit. Rules provide an underlying structure that governs the experience, what is displayed, when it's displayed, and how it responds to user actions. The depth of systems means that information architects no longer design structures with specific pieces of content in mind, but instead have to design structures around classifications, categories, and abstractions. Co-founder and principal at 8Shapes, Dan Brown, lays the groundwork for how we think and talk about this aspect of our work, providing a rationale for why thinking about rules is important distinguishing good rules from bad, and offers a framework for designing and documenting rules. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. So let's, um, let's start with, some basic, with a basic idea of what a rule is. If a wireframe, we're interested in documentation, if a wireframe tells us what goes on the screen, then a rule describes how the screen changes in different circumstances, right? Um, but let's, uh, I also like thinking about metaphors. So. Um, uh, I subtitled this session The Engine of User Experience because it sounded good. But I'm actually not sure it's a good metaphor. Um, rules are crucial for driving the user experience, <laughs> but uh, they aren't the heartbeat or the central nervous system of user experience. They're not a single cohesive system. We come up with rules as needed, right, to fill holes in, in the UX. Um, rules make use of the language of a website. Uh, or a product, but they don't define that language necessarily. So what else could we consider? Maybe is a rule a recipe? That's a box of recipes. Uh, is a rule a recipe? It's not, not quite, because a recipe um, is a set of linear instructions to accomplish a goal. And uh, I think rules apply in specific situations with clear criteria uh, regarding presentation. But So this metaphor will break down very quickly. I can use the same metaphor whether I'm making uh, a duck for Christmas, or I'm, do you all have the craving for duck all of a sudden? Like just wandering around the hotel, don't you just feel like, you know, I could really... Um, so whether I'm making a duck for Christmas or for Thanksgiving or for Easter, I can use that same recipe regardless. Um, so it doesn't really help us understand rules all that much. So as I was seeking a metaphor for rules, um, I thought maybe it's like an editor at an editing booth. Um, uh, rules help us make choices about what's seen and how we see it, and that's sort of like what an editor does uh, on a TV show or a movie. Um, the director has the sort of overall vision of the experience, the actor is sort of the content itself, and the editor sort of uh, maybe mediates between those things. The editor crafts one aspect of the experience, sort of within the format of the medium, say television, uh, and the parameters of the director's vision, we get, we get the editor. Um, the, another way to think about it is the editor starts with piles of footage, right, and sort of makes selections based on what's appropriate, uh, with, again, within the parameters of the medium and with the director's vision. So why should information architects uh, compare, uh, compare, care, shall we say, about rules? Um, and I think it's really important to work with the definition of information architecture, collective grown. No, we're not going to do that. Here. So let's talk about what we do and how rules fill that. And you, no, no. Let me tell you um, uh, what I do. 
We'll start there. I can tell you what I do, I can't tell you what you do. Um, so these days, uh, my colleagues and I are doing uh, a lot of kind of fairly hefty, large uh, content websites. Um, and um, what I'm finding is that I'm playing with or dealing with four different things. Um, and these are sort of in, in increasing or decreasing tangibility, shall we say. We get more abstract. So the very first thing, if you could see over my head, is uh, templates, right? This is sort of the very basic building block of a website these days, right? Is a template, and I put content into that template. How content is arranged on the screen. I'm going to pick up the pace. Uh, we talk a little bit about uh, navigation and classification, right? Um, and this is how people find that content. Uh, as we get a little more abstract, we talk about content types, right? We're doing a lot more work with content management systems, which like to classify our content structurally in some way. Um, content types, they're kind of hard to define, but I like to think of them as giving us a meaningful language for talking about the range of information that's available on the particular site or product that we're working on. And finally, rules. I talk a lot about rules. Um, or think a lot about rules, and this is what pulls the experience together. This is what stitches the experience together. Rules are, in essence, then, germane to the user experience. Uh, as information architecture work, the work that we do gets more, excuse me, the work that I do, do the work that I do gets more abstract. Um, we talk more about content in terms of its type rather than in specific instances or examples of that content. So an information architect needs to integrate real-world content into these templates and abstractions that they're talking about, and, and a rule sort of bridges that gap between the two, right? The rule says, pick this content out and put it here. Does that make sense? Lunch coma? Okay, we'll keep moving then. So when I, did, when I look around uh, the web at that stuff, I notice that there's a very, there's not a lot of information out there about this. Not a lot of people are talking about rules, at least that I can see. Maybe I'm looking in the wrong places. Um, uh, but yet, this is what I find myself doing a lot, is thinking about what are the mechanisms that we need to put in place in order to get content into the templates that we design. Um, rules govern different aspects of the user experience. Let's talk uh, a bit, okay, there's my arrow. Oh, good. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, content, uh, content rules, rules that govern content. This is a, a good example, this is a cooking uh, magazine, a lot of food metaphors in my life, um, called Cooks Illustrated. Um, anyone read Cooks Illustrated? Yeah. A couple of us. Um, the editor of Cooks Illustrated is uh, kind of a dick. I don't know if you read his, uh, his editorials, but he's like, he's trying to be the Garrison Keeler of the cooking world, and you end up just wanting to punch him through the magazine. Uh, and I am not a violent person. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> So let's, uh, it may be kind of hard to see over the chairs here, but this is kind of the interesting part of the page uh, from my perspective, uh, or from a rules-based perspective. Um, we're making decisions about the kind of content that appears on this page. I don't know if it's Chris Kimball who actually makes the decisions here, but let's assume that it's, uh, it's a set of rules. Um, the rules help us figure out uh, which, which articles they want to highlight. You can almost imagine them going through this process. Do we show the latest articles? Do we have articles around a specific theme? Uh, do we have articles around uh, that come from the magazine, right, that, that's in the print piece as well? Um, and then do we need to show articles from a range of categories? Uh, it may be hard to see, it's hard for me to see, 
Um, but the categories are just above uh, the recipe names. So it's recipes, equipment reviews, taste tests, how to cook, different categories of information that you might find in Cooks Illustrated, right? Do I pick a range of content from all of those different categories? What is the editorial voice, right? There's a lot of uh, dovetailing here with, with content strategy. Um, the decisions, decisions that uh, an editor might, might make in a magazine, right? A human makes those decisions. Um, here in this medium, we leave it up to the machine, generally speaking, where we can leave it up to the machine to decide what content goes on this page. But we must give the machine a set of guidelines to make sure it chooses wisely. Uh, let's talk uh, a little bit about navigation rules. This is um, maybe a little bit more obscure, maybe a little bit more meta, but we've seen these in action. These are rules that govern how people experience uh, information. Um, if you wanted to get a little weird, you could uh, imagine uh, a room, and we come up with a set of rules that, depending on the type of room, it has this these kinds of exits to it. So let's look at an example. CNET gives us a, a pretty reasonable uh, example. This is their MP3 players uh, category. And you can see the, the big rectangle in the middle of the page. Um, there are three categories, three facets, uh, price, manufacturer, and other. Um, and within each of those categories, there are things that I can click on, navigation uh, elements that I can click on to allow me to filter the content, right? So price, I could click on, I don't want an MP3 player more than $50. So I can click on the $20 to $50 range and see around about 209 uh, uh, MP3 players in that category. <coughs> Let's compare. Uh, oh, so I zoom in. There we go. Uh, so let's uh, compare uh, to digital cameras. Same mechanism. Same exact mechanism. Price, manufacturer, and other. Um, but if we put these things side by side, we notice some subtle differences between these two things. Uh, in price, just to pull a random example, uh, you see in digital camera, I can choose less than $100. Uh, but for MP3 player, there's no less than $50. It's 20 to $50. Some interesting differences here. Maybe if you're me, they're interesting differences. The rest of you are just being generous, I suspect. Um, but these are uh, interesting differences. Another thing to look at is all prices. You see at the bottom of the price list uh, for digital cameras, you can see click all prices. I'm not really sure what that means. Uh, but you cannot do that in MP3 players. So there's a, even though we have this framework of price, manufacturer, and other, there's some sort of set of rules that governs what are the things that I see there. There's another uh, category of rules, not really editorial, not really navigation. We might sort of lump them under business rules. Uh, and I think this gives us uh, a pretty good, um, again, food-oriented or coffee-oriented, that would sort of be the other thing. Um, this gives us a pretty good illustration of that. Uh, I want to draw your attention to this little area. It says, uh, this Krupp's foamer is available and in stock. There's some rule that says we can put that message on the screen, right? There are other rules that say if it's not available and in stock, put something else up there. Maybe it's backordered, or consider buying this foamer instead. I've been living without foam on my lattes for a long, long time, though, so I really want this one. Um, it's kind of a rudimentary example, but it, it gives, but it, it illustrates this sort of other kind of rule. It's not necessarily editorial, not navigation, but some other mechanism that needs to define what goes on the screen. 
Um, so it's, it's business rules around calculating price or shipping, maybe what options are available uh, to users. There are business rules about maybe login or account information. Um, uh, and, and there are examples of this uh, all over the web. Another kind of rule that might fit into this category is decision points in a flow, right? So maybe I check, check international shipping, right? And that takes me off into a different direction. There's a rule there that says, if someone says that they are outside the US, in our case, go in this direction. So I've given you three sort of broad rule types, content rules, navigation rules, and business rules. Um, but I think what we're going to see is that the, this taxonomy is going to become insufficient. All the Australians in the room are going, no, it's perfectly fine. What are you talking about? And the rest of us are going, no, see, it's like an otter with a duck bill on it. Um, so just to refine our, so what I think is that these three very broad categories of rules are going to become less and less useful to us. I'm not sure that they were very useful uh, from the start, because I think we're going to see a lot more merging and mushing around of how experiences become built and generated. Um, so just to maybe put a formal definition in, you should just imagine the platypus saying this definition, and it actually becomes a lot more entertaining. Um, so uh, you can say that rules are criteria for selecting behaviors or responses within the context of a specific presentation. Um, let's talk, uh, let's, let's now we get to the buzzwords um, section of our presentation. Let's talk about what rules are not. I don't think rules are patterns, uh, necessarily. Uh, the way we define patterns at eight shapes is, uh, and maybe you do too, uh, generalized approaches to common problems, right? So I have a common design problem. I need to do login. Here are sort of some of the general things that, that you might think about relative uh, to logging in. Um, but rules expressed as generalizations um, are useless without specific applications, right? We need to think of a rule within the context of the specific experience that we're in. Um, however, a pattern might say you need these kinds of rules in order to be successful, right? So there is definitely a relationship uh, there. So just to uh, put my Yahoo friends on the spot, um, there's, you know, there's a pattern uh, in uh, the Yahoo pattern library for carousel. This pattern doesn't say you must put this content in the carousel. It doesn't say that at all. That rule is not germane to this. But as soon as we want to leverage this carousel on cooksillustrated.com, we need to come up with a set of rules for governing it. With me? So rules are also not components. And again, using uh, the, uh, the language that we use uh, at eight shapes, a component is um, the layout of a specific area of a, of a web page or a screen. Um, but it's specific to a design system, right? So for cooksillustrated.com, or maybe we can think of uh, that CNET example, right? That navigation block is a component. And I can use it uh, anywhere uh, in CNET.com. Um, a single component like that one can support many different kinds of rules. We saw the rules were uh, manifested themselves differently uh, in different areas of CNET.com. And like a pattern, I think a component needs to specify what rules are necessary. So this is uh, Sun's uh, web design uh, library. This is the accordion component. Again, you're not going to see any rules for what content needs to appear here. You may see some general guidelines as to how you can use uh, this particular component uh, in, within the context of sun.com. I'll scooch down. OK. Uh, but uh, you won't say you must populate it with such and such content.
So as information architects, we come up with a language for describing what happens on a website uh, as far as the information space is concerned. Um, the rules uh, use this language, um, things like content types, metadata, components, uh, in order to uh, manufacture an experience. So I guess the question is, how do we structure these rules? What, what do we need to think about uh, for each rules? So for any given content rule, I think there are five things uh, you need to think about. Light switches, number one, just kidding. Uh, action, what is the action that is performed? Uh, usually with respect to content, this is show or hide, right? Show the content or hide the content, fairly simple. You also need to think about uh, scope. So you need to think about which content types am I dealing with? So imagine uh, a list of headlines appearing on cooksillustrated.com. Right? You've got that list of headlines. From which content types am I going to draw that content? Is it only recipes, recipes and rev equipment reviews, recipes, equipment reviews, and techniques? Right? I need to select a range of content types to choose from. That defines the overall scope for that rule. And then, a lot of coffee, sorry. Uh, and then we need to filter that. So OK, I've said uh, this list of headlines is only going to draw from recipes. Which recipes am I going to show? Am I going to show just the latest recipes? Am I going to show only salmon recipes? Am I going to show recipes that match both salmon and uh, within the last week? Right? So a set of filtering criteria that allow us to choose from content in that content type. I like separating, you might think, maybe you're not, but one thing that occurred to me is that why would I separate content type from filter? I think it's important to do that because there, uh, there may be a dependency between them. Different content types may have different filters associated with them. Quantity, how much are you going to show? How many items are you going to show uh, in the list? Which fields are you going to show? What is the, uh, so for any given recipe, am I showing uh, just the name and a brief description, or am I showing name, cuisine type, um, uh, brief description, and number of people that it serves? There are always cereal boxes on my kitchen table, so it was pretty self-evident to just take a picture of that. Uh, and then uh, the last thing is, what's the default? Once I peel away all the layers, once I apply all the filters, and I get to the bare, I get down to nothing, what happens, right? At some point, the machine may not be able to pick out appropriate content. And so you need to tell the machine, if all else fails, use the little person in the very middle of the uh, nesting dolls. So five things related to uh, selecting content. I think there are uh, a handful of things related to navigation rules as well. Uh, I'm not going to say, uh, actually, he just walked in. Andrew stepped on my uh, punchline here at all, but we happen to use the exact same painting for two completely different purposes. Uh, uh, so this is Cubist painting representing different facets of new descending the stairs. Um, uh, in any case, uh, you need to select which facets. So again, thinking back to uh, the CNET.com example, the facets that we chose were price, manufacturer, and other. I love that one. Uh, so which facets are we going to, uh, to represent? Uh, with respect to navigation, we also want to talk about what's the range of options, right? So for any, those are supposed to be dials on my range. They're a little dark. Sorry about that. Um, so uh, how will users select the value? Is it a knob? Is it a slider? 
Is it a, a menu of values that they can choose from? I also need to determine upper and lower limits, right? So um, is, can they choose uh, any price under the sun, or can they only choose up to $100? And then how does selecting a facet, a value for a facet, affect the display? What is the effect here? If I move the slider, do the things automatically change? As in, uh, if you're familiar with kayak.com, I can move the slider to change uh, the amount that I want to pay for an airline ticket. And I see that reflected in real time. Uh, and then the last thing I need to choose is whether I expose uh, a see all. This can be a scary thing. If I click see all prices, what happens, right? Am I trying to do a database query of thousands upon thousands of products? I put those together because I don't think we actually have a good language for talking about rules. Um, I solicited on Twitter um, people to give me examples of how they have documented rules, how they have captured rules in their documentation. And I got to say, you guys disappointed a little. I didn't get a whole lot of feedback. And I think it's because we're struggling to figure this out. So um, I wanted to uh, at least put a few examples, if not uh, good examples, then something at least for us to chew on uh, relative to how do we document rules. We're very good at documenting interfaces. We're very good at putting a wireframe together. Um, but what we're not good at necessarily, or what we haven't zeroed in on, is an effective way of capturing these rules that govern the experience. So you may recognize this. It's a wireframe with some annotations on the right-hand side. How many people's documents who do wireframes tend to look something like this? Nathan, in the back, you get a gold star, my friend. OK, so this is a wireframe with annotations, right? Oh, I put this up here because only my mother calls me Daniel. And so I think she must have been responsible for printing these out. Um, so one approach that we, uh, that we take um, is uh, just straight prose, right? So one of these uh, little annotations might say something like this. If the customer's state is nexus, show the sales tax, right? If, the, if we do business in that state, then we need to charge the customer sales tax. So I'm going to state it as simply and as plainly as I possibly can. And I suspect a lot of our annotations look something like this. And I'm choosing a really boring uh, example, just to be uh, as clear as I possibly can. But as the rules become a little bit more complicated, it may be challenging to express them in this way. <coughs> Sorry. So something else uh, that we've seen is uh, pseudocode. Uh, and by this, I mean we uh, take uh, this little annotation, and we express it in something a little more structured. So this says, uh, for the annotation, we say display conditions for this particular area of the screen. If state equals nexus, then display tax. Something that we could all read, even if we're not developers, um, but presents it in a little more structured way. De developers love this, right? They, they love it because you're speaking their language. And so you, you sort of um, uh, can present this layer of detail in a way that's meaningful to them but everybody else will go, what are you talking about? Right? They may, it may not be as easily understandable for them. 
Steve Batty sent me a, an interesting uh, example. He's the only one. He also gets a gold star. Uh, where, whereby we use uh, a table. So you might imagine that a couple of these uh, annotations, uh, or, or we've put uh, in the annotation section a table that describes uh, in this way what is meant to appear, right? So for area one of the, art, uh, of the uh, wireframe, we're going to show articles. We want to show three to five of them. And we're going to use this particular criteria uh, to select uh, those articles. Again, mundane example, probably not necessarily perfectly realistic. The tables that Steve showed me were much more involved and complex. Um, but uh, but I, I think you can imagine how this might apply uh, to your own work. A couple more uh, ideas. Um, the wireframe itself may contain uh, some semblance of a rule. I don't think this necessarily gives us a good indication of what articles appear here. But, but just by virtue of the name of the component, latest articles, uh, we get a sense of what the scope is and maybe what the filtering criteria are. Uh, and we get a sense of what the format needs to be. I really think something like this needs to work in conjunction with some sort of annotation. But if you're putting um, lorem ipsum in your wireframes, you're not necessarily being as explicit as you can about the kind of content that could appear there. And not rendered uh, perfectly well, but this is a, a flow I did years and years ago for the postal uh, service. Um, uh, and it's actually a very simple uh, flow describing an incredibly complex filtering rule, right? So it's a very, 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 very small part of the user experience, but I've tried to render visually what the rule is. So let's talk about the things that make rules good. Right? We only want to write good rules because we want good users, user experiences. So uh, I think good rules are uh, user-centered. Right? They, they give me, um, they provide content that is meaningful to the user. Um, have you ever gotten recommendations for products that you're not interested in and you're not sure why you got those recommendations? It's gotten better in the last few years, but certainly when Amazon first came out with the recommendations, you're always wondering, uh, that's just not for me. I don't wear lip balm. I don't know why you recommended that to me. Um, so we want to make sure that our rules generate content that is meaningful uh, to our users. We want to make sure that the rules are unambiguous my all-time favorite sign uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. Fortunately, uh, the hospital where my son was delivered is right off this circle. But fortunately, I knew how to get there when my wife was in labor. So I didn't have to look carefully at the sign at 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, uh, we want our rules to be unambiguous, right? We want them to be, very to be very clear about what the choices that come out of it are. So when I say latest articles, that's not unambiguous, right? Uh, Unambiguous means articles between such and such dates. Maybe that's, that's a way to be more specific. We want our rules uh, to be feasible. We want them to use existing IA parameters. A good example is I love putting in um, uh, most popular articles, right? You might see that's, that's a lot of things. That's something that we do a lot these days is these are the most popular articles. But if we're not collecting information on determining whether an article is popular or not, it's not a feasible rule. This was the most depressing part of the research that I had to do is um, when uh, people don't uh, 
<laughs> are not responsible, uh, when they don't know who is responsible. Um, one of the things that we've realized is, um, in some cases, clients uh, or the people who run the website want to maintain a certain amount of editorial control of, uh, of the content that appears. So we need to specify, is this the machine coming up with this content, or are humans coming up with this content? The rule may be the same, the guideline may be the same, choose the latest articles, but who governs that rule or who actually uh, implements that rule may, be, may vary. We want to make sure the rule is comprehensive in some way so that it addresses all possible scenarios. Uh, you don't want um, your website to croak or hiccup because uh, it's in a scenario that, that you could not anticipate. And the last one here uh, is uh, degrade gracefully, right? So again, this is the uh, nesting doll. If, if all else fails, if I can't find a specific piece of content, what should I show? Do I disappear entirely? Or uh, do I have some default content that I could put in place? So those are the things that I think make, make for good rules. Um, so a highly uh, pragmatic, maybe down in the weeds conversation relative to some of the other talks that you heard today. So I'm gonna try and escalate it a little bit. Rules may not govern how we interact with people, but they do govern how our products behave relative to its users. And I think we, we considered a number of different metaphors uh, for business rules, for rules governing a website, engine, recipe, editor. And I think soul of the product may be too strong, but uh, maybe it's frontal lobe, maybe the part that helps it make rational decisions. Uh, in different situations is, uh, is a, good, a good way of thinking about it. And therefore, we need to think, take our rules very seriously because, again, they govern how our products behave relative to, their, to its users. Um, and there may be a very small ethical component to those decisions that we make. Um, so it may not feel like it when we're trying to decide whether sales tax is displayed. Um, but ultimately, comprehensively, all of these rules work together uh, to make for a user experience um, that, uh, that can be meaningful and important to our users in that way. So that is literally the sum total of everything I have to say uh, about rules. Thank you very much uh, for listening after lunch. To hear even more presentations from the 2009 IA Summit, point your browser to boxesnarrows.com and click on the podcast link. There you'll find access to the iTunes feed and more information about each presentation. Our heartfelt thanks to the organizers and sponsors of the 10th Annual IA Summit, the presenters, and of course to the global community. We look forward to feedback about future episodes that will be of greatest value to you, our listeners.